0: listening to the Sex with Dr. Jess podcast, sex and relationship advice you can use tonight. Welcome to the Sex with Dr. Jess podcast. I am your host and your friendly neighborhood sexologist, Jessica O'Reilly. Happy to be here today talking about a really fascinating topic. And before we get to it, I'm going to remind you that today's episode is brought to you by Desire Resorts and Desire Cruises, clothing optional, couples only experiences that are designed to reignite the spark and then some. And I'm I'm setting sail from Spain to France to Monaco and Italy with Desire Cruises in April and May. And I invite you to join me if you follow my Instagram. You know I was aboard their very first cruise a few months ago and had the time of my life. So check them out at Desire Resorts on all social media. Today's guest is Dr. Justin Lay Miller. He's a social psychologist, faculty affiliate of the Kinsey Institute and Indiana University, and author of the blog Sex and Psychology, which I follow. I'm a big fan and follower of his work, and I know you will be too. Hello there, Dr. Justin Laymiller.
1: Hi, Jess. Thanks for having me.
0: Uh, happy to have you. Now, let's dive right in. I received a couple of questions this week from listeners who are curious about the practice and fantasy of cuckolding. And I know you're the one to answer, so I'm just (laughs) going to read read this first one out to you. This, This listener is 44 years old from Washington State and wants to know, why are men turned on by watching their partner or their wives with another man? What is the psychological science of cuckolding? So first, let's define what, what is this term cuckolding? It's a hard word to say for me. I don't know why.
1: Sure. <laughs> <laughs> sure. So, so cuckolding is a term that refers to a sexual fantasy or practice where someone watches their partner having sex with someone else. Uh, it's usually referred to as cuckolding if it's a man watching uh, his partner, and if it's a woman watching her partner, that's sometimes referred to as cut queening, uh, which is uh, an even harder word to say. Um, but there's Awkward. also I know, there's okay. also another term that you see sometimes in the literature called uh, Troyalism, which is uh, just a broader term for someone who takes pleasure in watching their partner having sex with someone else. So this is a, a fantasy and practice that goes by a lot of different names.
0: Okay. And I I hear the term also hot wifing. Is that uh, along the same lines?
1: Yep. It pretty much refers to the same thing, but there are some qualitative differences in how that fantasy plays out, um, which we can kind of get into a little bit later.
0: (laughs) Okay. So how popular is this fantasy of watching your partner having sex with somebody else?
1: So this is something that has long been thought to be rare. It's been described in the psychological literature as a paraphilia, which is a term that refers to an unusual sexual interest. Um, But I've conducted some research that suggests that it's much more common than previously thought. So I have a, a, a book that's coming out next year entitled Tell Me What You Want. And as part of that book, I conducted a large survey of thousands of Americans where i asked people about their sexual fantasies and among other things i asked them about cuckolding and i found that more than half of the men uh, who took the survey said that they had fantasized about cuckolding before and more than a quarter of the women who took the survey had fantasized about it too so this seems to tell us that it's a pretty common thing for people to have fantasized about before
0: okay i'm surprised that the number is so much lower for women and to be a quarter versus half, uh, does this surprise you at all?
1: Well, it depends on which explanation you believe when it comes to the origin of these fantasies. So, you know, one of the theories is that there's an evolutionary reason for why men might be drawn to cup-holding fantasies. And so if you buy into that theory, it would help to explain why this is a more popular fantasy for men than it is for women.
0: So what's this evolutionary theory? Because this guy wants to understand the science (laughs) of (laughs) the occulting.
1: Sure. So so the idea there is that men have evolved to be aroused by scenarios where there are multiple men who are competing for the same uh, female partner. And basically what the argument is, is that when men see other men competing for the same mate, it leads to something known as sperm competition, where Mm -hmm. men's bodies and behaviors change in ways that are designed to help their sperm outcompete the sperm of other men when it comes to fertilizing uh, a woman's eggs. So, uh, for example, as as some research supporting this idea, um, some studies have found that when men suspect a female partner of having recently cheated, that they will engage in more vigorous thrusting the next time they have sex, the thought being that that might displace any semen that had been deposited by a rival male. Um,
0: okay, that sounds awful.
1: More yeah, I know.
0: <laughs> <thing>. <laughs> Way to really chase her away. Not that. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so that's that's one theory, and there have mm-hmm. to be other theories as to why it might be a turn on. I mean, first and foremost, because it's that that's a theory that amazing race for sperm really applies <laughs> to to straight men. But it's a a fantasy that not only straight men, so men who identify as bi, men who Mm -hmm. identify as gay, also engage in this fantasy and practice.
1: Sure. Um, So so there are a lot of different schools of thought here. And, you know, another theory, and, and I should say that when it comes to any sexual interest, there are usually multiple different theories or explanations as to why people might have it and it might not be the same reason for every person. All of our sexual desires are complex and there could be biological and evolutionary factors that explain part of it. There could be psychological and personality factors that are part of it as well. Um, there could be relationships and and environmental factors. So our desires are very complex and there's usually never a simple explanation for why people are turned on by what they're turned on by. Um, But another thought is that in cuckolding scenarios, there's often a big element of dominance and submission um, Mm -hmm. where the partner who is being cuckolded, who is watching their partner have sex with someone else, uh, sometimes they are humiliated in the process. You know, their partner, for example, might humiliate the, the man who's watching for having a small penis or for not being able to please or satisfy his lover. Um, so so there's this, this power dynamic, sometimes element of humiliation. There's also sometimes a bondage element that goes along with it. So you can also sometimes view cuckolding through the lens of BDSM. And so that might be another thing that draws some people to cuckolding. Um,
0: as a, you know, a consensual form of sexual masochism, being able to live out that escape from reality fantasy, that makes sense to me.
1: Correct. Yeah. So that, that's, that's, another way to go. And then, you know, yet another level of explanation is that there's just something about people's personality that draws them to it, because this is a, a scenario that provides um, a lot of visual sexual stimulation. It's, it's a voyeuristic act in some ways, you know, watching your partner have sex with someone else, except we're talking about voyeurism on consensual terms here um, as opposed to the classical form of voyeurism where people are spying on others who don't know they're being watched that's that's a different thing um, so it might be for people who have a heightened need for sexual stimulation um, uh, or who just like to watch you know that this provides the kind of stimulation that, that really turns them on so again there could be different things for different people that fall into this scenario
0: yeah, and I mean, it's it's a, it's a way to subvert cultural norms of safety, right? Mm-hmm. So we spend a lot of time, I think, in our culture talking about how to feel safe with your partner so you can have sex. And mm-hmm. to be honest, I mean, I don't speak a lot about my personal experience, but I think I'll talk a little bit about <laughs> about how I feel. I mean, that gets boring. I mean, sex becomes, I think for some of us, it becomes too easy and so an element of jealousy, or I, I don't know if I I specifically like humiliation, but the jealousy can be a turn on when sex is just too easy. When you, I guess you feel like you can, you can get it all the time or get it where you want it or something like that.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you know, another part of this too, is that a lot of people find it really arousing to see their partner be sexually fulfilled. And so just yeah. seeing their partner achieving or obtaining so much sexual pleasure could be part of what's appealing as well. Um, And also for some men, you know, just knowing that their partner is found to be very desirable by others could be part Mm -hmm. of the turn-on here. So, you know, I think this is a very complex sexual interest where there's a lot of things playing a role.
0: Right, the idea of your partner being wanted by others has a little cultural capital, especially when you're looking at like a male female dynamic. But I think, I, I mean, I can say it flows in both directions. I, sure. I I feel a lot of pride in how attractive my male partner is. Um, and I, I, there's another piece I think here that I, I'll ask you, if you've seen this in your research, but I think it also offers an escape from your everyday responsibilities mm. of being the good partner that does everything, fulfills everything. Like there's so much pressure just to be the perfect partner. And I wonder if, if the 25% of women in your research who have the cuck-queen fantasy, <laughs> um, if, if that's a part of it, like we're, we're supposed to be the good wife and the cool wife and a great lover and a good mom and all of these things. And it's like, no, you know what? You do this. Let's get this other woman to do this for me. <laughs>
1: Sure. Yeah. And we are living in the era of what what some psychologists refer to as the all or nothing marriage, where it's like we increasingly have all of these expectations we put on our spouses and partners for them to be our best friend and the best possible lover and all of these other things at once. And so, yeah, I mean, that's an interesting way of looking at it is that this is is a variant of consensual non-monogamy where people are able to have sexual needs fulfilled by others, yet still maintain a primary relationship with someone else so that that could certainly be part of it too.
0: Right now so you've given us the statistics on the popularity of the fantasy itself and we all know mm-hmm. that a gap of course exists between fantasy and reality. I don't and know if you have, have this information in terms of practice do we know how common this may be?
1: Um, that's a good question and I you know I I would be able to look in my data and find the answer to that um, What I can tell you is that in general, most people have not acted on their sexual fantasies, no matter what they are. So we're talking about a pretty small percentage who have actually done so, especially when it comes to what's considered to be a more taboo act like cuckolding. So I don't have the numbers off the top of my head, but it's, you know, a lot of people have fantasized about this, but relatively few have actually made it a reality.
0: Right, and there's practical limitations, right? It's not just easy to find someone who's going to do this. I mean, I I get emails all the time from people. I don't know. They think I'm some sort of threesome matchmaker. (laughs) Can you find me a third party? Yeah, Yeah. let me just look in my little black book of people in Utah or people in Jamaica Mm -hmm. (laughs) who want to come, you know, have sex with you. So even if they did want to play this out, uh, you know, there are practical considerations. Where do you find that third person? now let's say that this is your fantasy and you want to bring it up to your partner. Mm-hmm. Uh, how do you begin?
1: <laughs> <laughs> Another good question. And I've gotten lots of emails from, from readers about that as well, because that's actually, you know, the first really challenging thing is if you have this fantasy, what, what do you do about it and how do you present it to your partner in a way that doesn't make them feel threatened or uh, insecure, or, you know, because this goes against norms of monogamy and and so many other things. So, uh, You know, I think when it comes to sharing any fantasy with a partner, it's you might want to make sure that you've established a very strong norm of sexual communication first, right? So you have to have very good open dialogue before you can start sharing your fantasies with your partner. So you might not want to jump right into the cuckolding part, um, but rather step back and start talking about your desires more broadly and and kind of work your way into it, and and kind of feel your partner out about, you know, how do they feel about different forms of consensual non-monogamy. And if they're the kind of person that perceives that to be really threatening, then this might not be a route that you wanna go down and and pursue with your partner. So you kind of need to to have a good norm of communication and test the waters and figure out where your partner's comfort level is with um, any kind of consensual non-monogamy.
0: Right, and it's interesting, because you talk about the fact that this is a very common fantasy. I wouldn't be surprised if the numbers are higher than that original data because sometimes we're afraid to even admit things in research. Sure. Um, so the, the the fantasy frequency is high, the practice in in reality is low, so there must be a middle ground between just thinking about it and actually acting it out, like talking mm-hmm. to your partner about it or role playing. Like do you have some some tips or practical advice for people who are turned on by this don't have the the energy or the resources <laughs> yeah. or or even that they don't want to take the risk for instance although some people yeah. do um what, what's the middle ground like I, I use the term monogamish which is very different than dan savage's term but like how do we play with this but if we are not ready to dive in head first
1: sure and and i don't think everybody necessarily needs to act on this fantasy or any other fantasy that they might have, but there might be value and benefit to simply sharing it with your partner. There are a lot of people who find it arousing just to talk about what turns them on and to to share that with someone else and, and people can find that to be a very arousing part of their um, foreplay or, or, or sexual activity, so you know, without having to open yourself up to any potential risk to the relationship or to your sexual health or anything like that, simply disclosing and sharing your fantasies with the partner is is a good middle ground and a good place to start, rather than just keeping everything secret. So I, I think part of it is just getting comfortable talking about our desires, and then you know, once you kind of figure out where your comfort level is and where your partner's comfort level is, you can talk about whether it might make sense to uh, act on the fantasy. Um, different people have different comfort levels with, with all of this. And so it might make sense for some people to do it, but for others, maybe just talking about it is enough.
0: Right. And, and talking about it in bed can be mm-hmm. so hot, right? You mm-hmm. can, you can feel like you're experiencing it only it's better because you don't have to do all the work and worry about the third person.
1: right because as we established it can be hard so sometimes it's hard enough to find just one partner let alone get (laughs) multiple people together in the same room at the same time
0: hard enough to find one partner hard enough to deal with one partner
1: (laughs) yeah
0: (laughs) so it's interesting so although most people do not take this into lived reality i I have a note from a, a woman who writes to me and says i i love watching my husband have sex with other women. It's not just a, just a fantasy, we've done it twice. It mm-hmm. was hot, we have a great relationship, I wanna do it again, he wants to do it again, but after a few glasses of <laughs> rosé, I told my girlfriends about it and they freaked out. One of them says she thinks you know something must be wrong with me uh, and the other, both of them think that we're on a very slippery slope. They say that if we do this, he'll just wanna escalate things. So I I think I know how you're going to respond to this. You know, our listeners could use even more reassurance. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. So the way I think about this is that cuckolding falls in the same category as swinging, as polyamory, as open relationships in, in the sense that it, it's under the umbrella of consensual non-monogamy and what we see in the research is that people who are in consensually non-monogamous relationships where they have some kind of arrangement where one or both partners can go out and have sex with other people um, we see that the quality of those relationships is just as strong as relationships where um, partners are monogamous and so it's not Necessarily, any kind of threat to the relationship, or uh, a sign that you're headed for breakup, or or that there's something wrong with you or with your partner. So, uh, you know, for people who who want to practice consensual non-monogamy, um, you know, yes, there are there are always risks when it comes to opening up your relationship in some way. And it depends if both of the partners are in the right headspace and you know have the same goals and wants, and you know they're both doing it because it's something they truly want to do. Um, so, so there are some risks there, but what the data show are that there are no differences in, in relationship quality. So that's not something uh that, that, that that's a case where the the stereotype doesn't match up with what, what the data say.
0: Right. And also these friends might be very threatened by this. Oftentimes when we sit in judgment and say, you know, something's wrong with you, it's because we're really fearful sure.
1: <laughs> that something
0: is wrong with ourselves. So Now, thank you for that. Before I let you go, you have a book coming out in the new year. Tell me what you want, The Science of Sexual Desire and how it can help you improve your sex life. Uh, When's the book coming out? What should we know? Where can we find it?
1: Uh, So it will be out next summer. um, But I believe the pre-order page on Amazon has already gone up. And basically, it's a book that's all about what we want and what it means and how we can get what we want. So uh, it goes into detail about how we can talk to our partners about our sexual desires and the, the practical considerations we need to keep in mind if we want to think about turning our fantasies into realities. So it, it talks about cuckolding as part of that, um, but it goes into great depth and detail about um, pretty much every sexual interest you can think of. So uh, I, I think your your listeners might be very interested in it
0: forget them I'm interested (laughs) here here's the question that I know my partner would ask are there pictures
1: (laughs) (laughs) no it's it's not really a picture book
0: Um, actually one, one exercise I use with clients when they want to disclose fantasy and talk about fantasies, I do this in groups as well as with couples, is we let them draw their fantasies mm. and it's really great, especially for those of us who are terrible at drawing. If you're really good at drawing, like whatever, you're annoying, <laughs> but, uh, you know, you can, you have a laugh when somebody illustrates their fantasies. It's a way to like break, to really break the tension and yeah. start talking in more abstract terms. Cause sometimes it's really unclear what the fantasy is intended to illustrate.
1: Yeah, so so in this book, I have lots of narrative descriptions provided by participants. So you can read in people's own words what it is that turns them on, but now you're making me think that for the follow-up study, I have to have them draw pictures of it. And <laughs>
0: It's quite a, it's quite a riot. Um, yeah. You know, sometimes people look like a, a horse in these pictures, but they're <laughs> they're intended to be people. Some of us just are not very good at drawing. Okay, right. <laughs> so thank thank you so much for being here. Really appreciate it. Some very valuable information here. Here from Dr. Jess Miller. A quick thank you once again to Desire Resorts and Desire Cruises. Please do join me in April and May. We are going to some fabulous places in Europe. Check them out at Desire Resorts. And to all of you, thank you for tuning in. Have a lovely week and keep those questions coming. You're listening to the Sex with Dr. Jess podcast. Improve your sex life, improve your life.